Having concluded our recent series in Second Peter, tonight we begin a, a new series from the Philippian epistle. We have not studied Philippians in an expository series. We have uh, studied it briefly, I think, in a four-week interim in uh, Wednesday night class, as I recall, but not in a verse-by-verse study. One of the great epistles uh, from uh, the Roman prison that Paul wrote, one of the prison epistles, uh, an epistle that has been called his love letter uh, to the church at Philippi because he uh, had so much affection and appreciation for their faithfulness. And there is so much to learn from their faithfulness and from the example that they were uh, and still are, if you will, though the church at Philippi no longer exists, uh, nothing at Philippi exists except ruins, as you shall see in just a moment as we take a little bit of a tour visual tour of the uh, ancient ruins of, of Philippi. But their influence lives on the church at Philippi uh, because of the great work that they did, the faithfulness that they exhibited as the Apostle Paul began the church uh, there at uh, Philippi, uh, the background of which is seen in Acts chapter 16. Tonight we need to have a background for our uh, study, and so much of tonight's uh, lesson will deal with Philippi, that is the city itself, the origin of the church there, uh, the nature of the church at Philippi, and briefly uh, the time and uh, place of the writing of this uh, epistle. We've alluded to some of that already, and then we'll just simply look at the first two verses, the, uh, the greeting uh, that uh, the Apostle Paul and Timothy, who was with him at this time uh, in Rome, as Paul was a prisoner there, we'll look at those uh, first two uh, verses. Uh, before we uh, talk some about uh, uh, the city, I'd like for us to uh, see some of the uh, scenes of, uh, of Philippi. It was my privilege to visit uh, Philippi as a part of a Bible lands journey that I took way back in 1978. And uh, these pictures are not mine, though I have a, a great many of Philippi. I haven't transferred those into a digital format. They're still in the old slide uh, format, but I haven't transferred them over. Uh, but these are uh, pictures that I uh, obtained from another application. Uh, as we look at the, uh, the front of the cover of the album, so to speak, we see the uh, port uh, at Philippi, uh, which was uh, Neapolis, of course. And uh, as we look at some of these pictures, we can uh, talk a little bit about uh, the background. Of course, the uh, missionary journey that Paul was on as he received the Macedonian call, as you uh, remember, on that second missionary uh, journey, uh, the vision appeared there in Acts 16, uh, verse 9, uh, to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia uh, stood still uh, and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And now after he had uh, seen the vision, immediately we sought, this is Luke writing now, and Luke was among this, uh, this group, writing we here, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. And that's what you're looking at here is the port city uh, of Neapolis. But it is today uh, called Kabbalah, and it is inhabited. And in fact, some of the best uh, 
food we had on the trip was um, at a restaurant in Kavala in the poor city of, uh, of Neapolis. And Richard Curry, who was with me on that uh, trip and some subsequent journey, but on that trip he, he was bragging this is the best food we've had because he wasn't too overjoyed with some of the food we'd had before, but he really liked the food here at, uh, at Neapolis. But this is where Paul and uh, the party of with him as they uh, received the Macedonian call, that vision, that called uh, obviously directly that God had uh, provided, uh, came onto European soil here at this location for uh, the first time. And the gospel of Christ was preached uh, on European soil for the first time, beginning here as they uh, set foot on land here. But they would have traveled this very road that you see uh, here, the Via Ignatia or the Ignatian Way. Uh, this was the great Roman uh, road that came from uh, uh, Neapolis and would have come into uh, Philippi and well beyond uh, Philippi for that matter. But this was a, a Roman road that made travel so much more commodious so much easier, and therefore made the uh, spread of the gospel uh, so much uh, easier. Remember in our Galatians study, uh, in uh, Galatians, in the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4 4, as we recently studied, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Well, in the fullness of time, we talked about the conditions that existed uh, at this time. When when Christ came into the world, the gospel came into existence, was preached for the first time, and then began to, uh, to be uh, preached by uh, others, and ultimately Saul of Tarsus, who was converted. Well, this was one of those uh, very good roads that made it a lot easier uh, for one to um, uh, preach the gospel by traveling in a much uh, easier fashion. And then when one comes on into the area of uh, Philippi, it is not inhabited. Uh, when we were there in 1978, they were doing uh, excavations. Uh, arch uh, the archaeological teams were, were working in that area, and I do not know today, that's been a long time ago, but they said, if you ever come back, as I recall our guide saying, you'll see a, a much different situation because they were going to reconstruct a lot of that, uh, that ancient uh, city. But this is a uh, a view of the city uh, from uh, above on a hill, and you can see the ruins down below there uh, in, uh, in the valley uh, there. And uh, then uh, you see down at the Forum, uh, the Forum, of course, was the area where uh, the people gathered, uh, the marketplace, uh, uh, an area where speeches would have been delivered, public speeches and so forth. And um, like when Paul came to, uh, uh, to Corinth, he came to the uh, platform there, the Bema, I believe it was called, in Corinth, where he would have addressed the people. This would have been the center of activity, if you will, uh, of the city. And as you see, uh, no activity there uh, today. Um, this is uh, from the northwest, a view of, uh, of uh, the plain, the Philippi Plain, from the northwest, as you can see uh, here in, um, in this slide. And then this was the commercial area, or the agora. And if you'll notice, the agora being the Greek word for the marketplace, the markets, uh, this would have been like the, the mall, <laughs> uh, as we think of it today. This would have been uh, like a strip mall, where you have different stores uh, 
uh, along a, a walkway out front and go into different stores as we're very familiar with, you can almost, you can see the uh, delineation of the, uh, of the various areas there with the walls in between uh, here, uh, all through uh, this area. The Macedonian uh, countryside is, uh, is a very uh, beautiful, uh, very beautiful uh, area uh, to visit. And, um, and then I think that may be the same one I had before. This is the uh, traditional, and we stress the word traditional, this is the traditional uh, place where Paul was said to have been imprisoned. Uh, from the outer view, this uh, apparently is a, a, an old prison, and therefore the, uh, uh, the supposition is that Paul and Silas would have been imprisoned here. Remember in Acts chapter 16, and the background of the uh, situation that put them in uh, prison. There was the girl who uh, was demon-possessed and was crying out that these were men of God, and uh, the Apostle Paul uh, did not want credit to be uh, given to them through uh, a demon-possessed woman. He cast out that demon, and then those who uh, were using her for gain realized they had lost their means of making money, and they were quite upset, and so... They brought false charges against Paul and Silas, and then they were beaten and thrown into prison by the magistrates. Uh, and there, of course, in prison is where that earthquake occurred about midnight. Uh, the Philippian jailer was converted. You remember the account there in Acts 16, which gives us the background of this. Well, this is the traditional side of that prison, and then a, uh, an inter, uh, inner view uh, of the area, supposedly, and then another view uh, as well. Of that, uh, of that prison. But the first conversion that took place uh, on European soil in this area took place uh, uh, along this river that you see, the last slide that we have. This is the, uh, the Ganges River. And uh, you remember from Acts chapter uh, 16, the account of um, uh, the conversion of Lydia beginning in uh, verse 14, now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. Uh, she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. And the Lord had uh, opened her heart uh, to heed the things uh, spoken uh, by uh, Paul. But she went out to uh, the riverside because uh, there were very few Jews uh, in uh, this area. There was no synagogue in the city of Philippi, uh, and yet there was a group of uh, women uh, mentioned here who, uh, who went out to the uh, riverside uh, and uh, were worshiping uh, there. And uh, the river had to be the River Ganges because that's the only river uh, in this area. So this would have been uh, similar uh, to the area along the very same river where the first convert on European soil uh, obeyed uh, the gospel of Christ in the city of Philippi. Philippi was one of the principal cities of Macedonia. And as we said, it was the first place in Europe where an apostle proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Located here on the banks of this Ganges River, uh, about 10 miles from Neapolis, the seaport where we began, uh, about 10 miles from there, the city was founded and thus gets its name, uh, from Philip. It was founded by Philip of Macedon. Philip of Macedon was the father of Alexander uh, the Great. And this was also, Philippi was the scene 
uh, of a, tr a tremendous and very crucial and pivotal battle in 42 B.C. between the forces of Augustus and Antony, Mark Antony, remember? Um, uh, and they won the victory over two others fighting for control, uh, Brutus and Cassius. It became a Roman colony. Uh, it was not a mercantile city, but it was a military city. And it was a military safeguard of the frontiers for uh, the Romans. The colonists, uh, 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 the colonists regulated their own affairs. They had their own magistrates. Remember, it was those magistrates that had Paul and Silas beaten and thrown into prison. Uh, they regulated their own affairs under Roman authority through these magistrates. Uh, they called themselves praetors. Uh, as we said, there weren't many Jews there. Uh, it was a military, not a mercantile city. There no, no synagogue at Philippi. Only this place of prayer by the riverside uh, where Lydia and some others uh, were meeting. And uh, we've already alluded to the origin of the Philippian church. It took place on the second missionary journey. Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke uh, would have been involved here after answering that Macedonian call as we read from Acts 16, 9 and uh, 10. And of course the experiences of their time at uh, Philippi are recorded in Acts 16 verses 12 through 40 which included the conversion of Lydia and her household, a great study in and of itself. Uh, that made with the spirit of divination, the demon possession being cast out, resulting in Paul and Silas uh, being in prison, the false charges that were brought against them that put them there. They were beaten, cast there, and then the conversion of the jailer took place. A great study also uh, in itself. The Philippian church is, the, um, uh, is a church of special significance as far as the life of the Apostle Paul is concerned. There's no other church that gave Paul more joy, more satisfaction than did the church at Philippi. Christianity had truly laid hold of their hearts, as we would hope Christianity would lay hold of every heart, because that is the key to strength. And the problem lies many times in the fact that many have simply not had their hearts fully affected by the gospel of Christ and uh, have not grown in the Lord as they should, and the tragic result is a falling away. Um, and various influences uh, are responsible at times uh, for that. But we need to do all that we can to encourage one another to be as much like a congregation such as the one we're about to, uh, about to study of the letter to that congregation as we can possibly be, because that truly uh, changes things in a dramatic way. And churches that can emulate the example of the Philippian church are churches that are going to be in, uh, uh, in favor with God and blessed by uh, God. And speaking of favors, Paul accepted favors from the Philippian church. He, uh, he was supported by them, and he was so appreciative of that uh, support. Uh, they had established, uh, as a matter of fact, they had established, the uh, Macedonians had established a reputation for uh, liberality. If you look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, uh, as he wrote to the Corinthian church, verses 1 through 5 of 2 Corinthians 8, he writes, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. This would include the church at Philippi here. 
For I bear witness that according to their ability, yea, and beyond, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Now, what's the key to that liberality? The key is found in the latter part of verse 5 of that reading. Listen to it again. And they gave, they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. When people truly give themselves to the Lord and fully give themselves to the Lord, everything else will fall into place, as did the liberality of these Macedonian churches, which included the church, obviously, here at Philippi. It proved, their liberality did, proved how poverty and generosity are compatible. Even though they were poor, they were extremely generous. And their latest gift to Paul was sorely uh, needed. We'll see that Epaphroditus brought it 700 miles to Paul, to Rome. 700 miles over land and sea. And Paul was grateful and he wrote the most, uh, he wrote the most uh, affectionate epistle of all his epistles to this uh, church at Philippi. When did he write it? Well, probably A.D. 62, perhaps A.D. 63, because uh, th this is the time that we place it in based upon the, what we know about his Roman imprisonment here, the first Roman uh, imprisonment. It was written while he was in chains here in the Praetorium. Uh, he sends greetings from Caesar's household. Chapter 4, verse 21 uh, mentions that. He expresses the anticipation of some crises in prison. We'll see that in chapter 1, verses 20 through 26. But he also expresses the hope of visiting Philippi again in 126 and also in chapter 2, uh, verse 24. So when we look at all of the factors... Uh, we place the time uh, in his first imprisonment, which lasted two full years, according to Acts 28, verse 30. He was in his first imprisonment for two full years. It began in A.D. 61. Therefore, the date would be near the end of the imprisonment, probably A.D. 63, uh, when he uh, wrote this. And Paul sends Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus, I've preached a sermon here on the epitaph of Epaphroditus. And when we come to that section again, we'll talk some more about this man who was a splendid Christian, uh, a very sacrificial man who, who almost died, almost worked himself to death in the cause of Christ. And we'll see him as we come uh, to the verses that pertain to him in this epistle. But he sends Epaphroditus back to Philippi with this uh, with this letter. And so with that as a brief background, we begin the letter itself. And we look first of all, just um, in the last few minutes together, at Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 and 2. Uh, as he extends his greeting, much of uh, the greeting being a characteristic greeting of the Apostle Paul uh, in his epistles, as we'll see in verse 2, uh, especially grace and peace. But it begins, Paul and Timothy bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you 
and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course we know that grace and peace were, uh, were characteristic uh, uh, greetings of the Apostle Paul in uh, so many of his, uh, of his epistles. Paul and Timothy, but notice how he refers uh, to himself here and to Timothy. Uh, Paul, not as an apostle of Jesus Christ, that's not even mentioned, but Paul and Timothy, what? Bond servants, bond servants. And the fact that he mentions Timothy, obviously, as we've already said, shows that Timothy was with Paul. He had labored at Philippi. He was Paul's son in the gospel. He was a man in whom Paul had tremendous uh, confidence. But he refers to himself and to Timothy here in this greeting as bondservants of Jesus Christ, literally as slaves of Jesus Christ. You remember in Ephesians 3 and verse 8, he said, To me who am less than the least of all the saints was this grace given, the grace or the favor to be able to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ as an apostle of Christ. Paul was, uh, was grateful beyond uh, expression for the grace that had been given to him, a verse that we've looked at on many occasions, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and that grace toward me was not in vain, for I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. It's not surprising to see in so many of his epistles that, that greeting that includes grace, because as I have said before, I don't think a man has ever walked the earth who appreciated and understood the grace of God any more than did the Apostle Paul. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ being the exception, he understood the grace of God, but he was not a recipient of the grace of God, as was Paul, was he? The Lord wasn't. Uh, he, was the, he was the giver of grace. He was God on earth. But Paul, as a human being, as a, a, a full human being, we could say, I don't believe there's ever been a completely human being who's ever appreciated the grace of God. Uh, any more than did the Apostle Paul. Unto me who am less than the least of all the saints. But should we not also appreciate that grace if we're Christians tonight? The favor that God has bestowed upon us to be, to be in a position to be, as we've been studying in the Galatian epistle on Sunday morning, not, not slaves, not servants in the sense of being in bondage, though we're free and willing servants, bondservants of Christ, as he refers to himself in Timothy here, but sons of God, sons and daughters of God, if we are truly uh, children of God. That's the grace that has been bestowed upon us. That's the privilege that we have uh, in Christ Jesus, where all spiritual blessings are to be found. And what kind of a, uh, attitude or emotion, if you will, does that evoke within us? An attitude of arrogance because look who we are. We're sons and daughters of God. No, just the opposite. The most genuine and the deepest possible humility. The kind of humility that even the great Apostle Paul, as we could certainly call him, understood and possessed. He possessed great humility. Isn't it nice that he could write to all the saints um, in a favorable uh, way. He refers to all uh, uh, the saints. He has nothing uh, negative here in this, in this greeting to them at all. He loved them deeply, and he refers to them, of course, here as uh, saints. The deep affection 
that he had, the spirit, uh, the spirit of unity uh, that existed in this church is one that's worthy of emulation by every congregation. Uh, and it shows the deep affection that he had, the liberality that enabled Paul to include all the members of the congregation in this greeting, in this very warm and affectionate greeting, the kind of spirit of unity that they had, their liberality, as we've already seen in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. All of these wonderful qualities that Paul appreciated so fully and deeply and enabled him to include all the members in this greeting. And they are saints in Christ Jesus. We've talked about the word saints. It means to be sanctified. It means to be set apart. One does not have to be perfect to be a saint, but one does have to be forgiven to be a saint. And one has to be walking in the light to be considered a saint, one who is faithful to God. But it's not just the saints here who are included in the greeting, but interestingly and only in this place do we find an expression which encompasses the entire fully organized body of Christ in one place. That is, in this congregation, he greets the saints, that's all of us, that would include the preacher, and the bishops and deacons. So it's an address here in one verse to the fully organized body of Christ. Just yesterday, as we've alluded to already this morning, we talked about the pattern, the restoration principle and the personalities and the pattern. Well, here we see the pattern for the organization of the church in existence in the church at Philippi. A fully organized, scripturally organized church of Christ existed here, and Paul addressed them. And that's what we, as a congregation of people, should always strive to, to be, is fully organized. That's not to say that every congregation that exists uh, can be fully organized at a particular point in time, because they may not have uh, men who are qualified to serve as, uh, as elders, or, or men qualified to serve as uh, deacons. So it may simply be the saints, all the saints, who are hopefully working toward a situation uh, like the one that we're reading about here, one where you have the church in existence and organized as God intended for it to be uh, organized. And that's the fully organized body of Christ. All are Christians working under the oversight of the bishops, and then under the oversight of those bishops, also the deacons who have special assignments, special responsibilities to help carry out and carry on uh, the work of the Lord. And, of course, bishops here is a term that I'm sure we well know uh, is elsewhere uh, seen as elders, uh, presbyters, as overseers, as pastors, as shepherds. All of those are, are synonymous, interchangeable terms that refer to one office in the, in the kingdom, one specific work, and that is those who are the elders, who are called bishops, shepherds, pastors, and so forth. As we studied just yesterday, uh, as Wesley in his lesson talked about, I believe it was Wesley talked about the various uh, terms that the early Restoration people were concerned about. We're not calling Bible things uh, by Bible names and doing Bible things in Bible ways. And so we don't call... Uh, we don't call uh, the preacher reverend, or we shouldn't. We shouldn't call the preacher uh, pastor. Uh, uh, the elders are, are uh, the pastors. If the preacher is also an elder, okay, fine, but don't even do it in a way that could be misleading and make someone think you're calling the preacher pastor in that sense because the pastors, plural, are the elders, the bishops, the overseers, the shepherds uh, who oversee 
the flock of God. But here's a beautiful statement here that depicts the fully organized body of Christ at Philippi. And then that uh, characteristic greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. His usual salutation, including that word grace that meant so much to this man as we have already seen. Well, thus we begin our study of this great epistle, and I trust it will be a profitable study. We, lead, we need to learn from it uh, so many things, the character of the church at Philippi, and then we need to seek to, uh, to imitate these good qualities, and yet, at the same time, we also need to recognize uh, the need to always grow. And the Philippian epistle will remind us of that because you remember what the Apostle Paul uh, wrote, Brethren, verse 13, beginning of chapter 3, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So as affectionate as he was toward the church at Philippi, as much as he appreciated them, he himself said, I need to keep pressing toward the mark. I have not apprehended. I have not attained. I haven't arrived. I need to continue to apply myself to move toward that heavenly goal. And that's what we need to do as well. But we're about to read about a group of people that were obviously committed to the Lord and their hearts were truly in the work of the Lord. How about us tonight? As we close these introductory thoughts to this great epistle, uh, can you say tonight that as a child of God, uh, you are where uh, these brothers and sisters of long ago were in terms of your commitment to the Lord, your faithfulness to him, and are you pressing toward that goal for, for that prize of the upward call of God? in Christ Jesus. Hopefully everyone here is in that situation where you are. But if there is someone here tonight who hasn't even begun to press toward the goal because you haven't been added to the body of Christ, to, to the church of which we read in the New Testament, the New Testament church, the only way to be added to that kingdom is by a belief in Christ as the Son of God, repenting of sins, confessing Jesus as the Christ, being buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. Belief, repentance, confession, and baptism, the simple but absolutely essential steps that place one into Christ. We plead with you to do that if you haven't. And if you need to come home to your first love tonight, as one who has at one time been faithful, has known the joy of salvation, the peace that comes from receiving and accepting and appropriating the grace of Almighty God, but you know tonight that you're no longer in that favor because you have left that favor through your waywardness. We plead with you to repent and come home tonight as we stand to sing. Will you come?